That was always my favorite part, because you would go to, like, Sainsbury's, and there's like, here's all the American stuff, and I'm like, I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> I've never seen these brands. Hour of Devastation is a fan-supported, listener-supported podcast, supported by people just like you. If you like what you hear and want to show your support, head over to patreon.com slash hour of devastation. A pledge to start is as little as one dollar. Thanks. Welcome to Hour of Devastation, a weekly Magic the Gathering podcast where we talk all things Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Joe Loudon, and with me as always is Sam Neill. Hi, yeah. And this week we're also joined by the awesome Jason Holt. Hi, do I talk now? We didn't re- Yeah, go we for didn't it. rehearse this. Sometimes people are like, and then we'll, yeah, we'll go, nope, this is 100% off the cuff. I didn't know, I, I assumed it was my turn to talk. Hi, I'm Jason Alt. You may know me from podcasts. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we thought that just going off the cuff and not planning anything whatsoever would play into your strengths, so. Yep, I have a brand. You do, yeah. Do you want to talk about your brand briefly and where people might know you from, what you do? Nope. <laughs> Yeah, um, so my name is Jason Alt. I started writing for Quiet Speculation back in 2011. So that's how long I've been involved with MTG Finance. I had a job as a chemist. It was a one-year contract position. It was not renewed. And so I was like, you know what? Instead of looking for another job, I'm going to hang out with Ryan Bouchard, the uh, MTG financier and former co-host of Brainstorm (laughs) Brewery. And we're just going to travel the country going to Grand's Prix, binder grinding, Selling to buy lists and just uh, eking out a living that way. And uh went pretty well. So I um, was a guest on the Brainstorm Brewery podcast on like episode four or five or something like that. And again on episode 10. And I've been a permanent um, host of the cast ever since. And uh, I've been writing for Cool Stuff Inc. since 20, I want to say 13 or 14. And I've been writing for MTG Price since like 2015. So I've been, I uh, write two weekly columns. I'm the content manager at edhrec.com. And um, I'm on a podcast called Film Hooligans on the They Said We Said YouTube network with John Dunning, who is another magic person, but we just decided not to talk about magic. And I think that's all I do in the community. Yeah. Yep, that's it. I think I think that's more time than you're allowed to plug on any of your other podcasts. <laughs> yeah, so I was welcome, just going to go until you guys stopped me, but you didn't, so... No, you pee it out eventually. It was, it was good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really cool to have you on. We thought at some point we should probably get someone that knows what they're talking about on this podcast. And you went with me instead? <laughs> hey, you, you, you know, you made a living doing magic finance, and that's impressive, at least. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, and at least I'm very well aware that you are a massive fish in a very, very tiny pond on this this podcast. So, now I'm thinking I made a mistake in coming here. <laughs> I mean, I did think that when you immediately replied to my Twitter DM, saying that you'd be on the podcast. Like, he has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, it's it's an hour, right? I didn't have to, I didn't have to fly anywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's an hour-ish. It's called Hour of Devastation, but that has never been true for any of the episodes we've released, so... You know, I never, I never made the uh, the connection that that's why I made that assumption. You should have a thirty five <laughs> minute podcast called Hour Devastation. That'd be really funny. Just play twenty five minutes of white noise at the end. Every time I edit a podcast that's like an hour and twenty five minutes, I do chuckle to myself, thinking I've got them this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we thought it'd be uh, cool to have you on and just talk about, I guess, some of the fields that you're an expert in, or at least very, very knowledgeable about. Uh, so. I don't know which topic we want to start with, but we're going to talk about uh, 
EDH and finance in general terms. So, which topic do you do you want to start with? Let's go in alphabetical order, right? Uh, if we're going to talk about uh, EDH stupid. and finance. Why don't we talk about EDH? Yeah, okay, sure. Let's go for it. Yeah. So we want to talk about the fact, well, something I'm going to call the command zone effect, which is something we've recently seen with like the card Reap, which has gone up an exponential amount in the last week, 10 days or so, based on the fact that Josh Lee Kwai mentioned it on an episode of the command zone. And it seems like it's been bought out everywhere mm-hmm. and everyone's putting it into their commander decks. Um, and whether that's actually, I mean, with Reap specifically, I guess that's not a real criticism, because that card's kind of good, and you probably should have been playing it anyway. Ah, uh, okay. But, yeah, but I mean, that was a card that uh, Gavin Fairhay mentioned on the EDH Rec podcast, and it went from, like, complete and utter bulk to still mostly bulk. Commander's Quarters yeah. put it in a video, and it went from bulk to maybe a buck or two. Mm-hmm. But then it just shows that the, the Command Zone has so much more reach. If it went from 2 to 12... When it was yeah, a, is that the price it's currently sitting at? Well, that's what it spiked to. Um, you're not going to get out at 12, but it doesn't look like there's much opportunity to get in below 12 at this point. Um, I don't think it's going to stick. I think it'll settle halfway between 2 and 12, but that's still kind of absurd, right? Uh, for yeah, a card that is not great and very situational. You're not going to want to play that Nevergreen deck, you know? Well, I think that was this. This is this is part of the point. Like, I think that was the point that Josh Lee quite made was that you should just play this in basically every green deck because when was the last time you sat down to play a game of Commander where you didn't play against like a person playing black? Right. That's the reason you said it was good because you're at least it's it's always well like ninety five percent of the time going to be a regrowth instant speed. Yeah. If not much better. Um, and that was the point he made. And like, I'm not sure that's exactly true because I've certainly recently played against people that weren't playing black cards. But I think that's symptomatic of something that just happens all the time like the commands i mention it and that they're whether rightly or wrongly heralded as being sort of the experts on commander and uh therefore whenever they say something when they say a card's good that that card just goes crazy and i think in terms of long term like that's happened with some stuff like the dalkanari right yeah where that card was just like it was it was kind of good you should probably be playing it and it was like five dollars or so for for a long time and then he kept talking about it, and now it's... I, I don't know the price currently, but it's a very expensive magic card. And that's it. That's purely on the basis of... You know, I think uh, if it does something cool on game nights, mm-hmm. you know... Th- there's one thing to mention it on the command zone, but, like, demonstrating it doing its little niche thing on game nights, there's really no substitute for that. There's so many eyeballs on that. Like, here's an MTG Finance tip. Watch game nights, because... Yeah. <laughs> watch it as early as possible become a patron to get it early because if yeah. you want whatever card that you know they decide is it, it's not that they're doing it on purpose I don't think they have fully grasped the command zone effect as yeah. a podcast and I'm not going to say they have some sort of responsibility to, to anybody you know on this kind of stuff but it, it's not that they oh, we have to be very cognizant of the effect our words have I don't want to make that point, but I I, I think that there there is an effect, and I, I I think doing it accidentally doesn't help anyone who paid twelve dollars for a reap that it was accidental rather than deliberate. I mean, the people that are listening to the command zone or watching the command zone or game notes, or whatever, and then going out and spending twelve bucks on a card that's actually worth four—that's kind of on them not knowing how 
finance works, I guess, or like how much their car's actually worth or actually paying attention to the car. They're just like, well, Jimmy and Josh said it was worth this amount. It was, it was this good, so it must be worth this amount of money, so I'm going to go out and buy a copy um, or several copies based on whatever they're doing. Uh, and I think, I don't know, like saying they don't have responsibility, I don't think they do because they're just recording a podcast, they're talking about cards they like and, and cards they think are good and a certain amount of time they're correct. A certain amount of time I am the kind of the opposite side from what they're saying. Like they're saying a card's really good and I disagree, but like, you know, they're much more successful podcasters than I am. Uh, but I think a lot of people just aren't applying this sort of critical thoughts being like, Oh, well, well maybe this, maybe this is a good card. Maybe I should be playing it. It could be good in this, in this deck and that deck and it could be good in this situation and I'll play it like this. And they're sort of listening to the podcast or watching their videos and just thinking, okay, well this card must be good because the, the, the sort of, they're the big wigs of Commander, right? Like, they're the biggest Commander podcast by quite a margin. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I think they're sort of... They're, they're the experts on the format. I mean, I... I can... I can throw shade at other podcasts because no one ever listens to this podcast. So if I say something bad about Josh D. Quiet, he's not going to listen to this and have a go at me. But I don't think they're right a lot of the time, and I actively disagree with them. But if he says it, then people are going to listen to it and... and, and and do that and I think there's a lot of conversation <clears throat> about how the variance in commander decks and, and stuff you can put in your deck is is reduced a lot by like Sol Ring and Command Tower and Arcane Signet and you're just like well you're building a 97 card deck because you have to put these cards in because they're the best in slot and I think the Command Zone are attributing to that a lot of the time and I think that's just a bad thing for Commander in general certainly um, homogeneity is the enemy mm-hmm yeah. In Commander, and that's that's sort of where my stance on proxying comes from, where people, yeah. they say, oh, well, you know, you're just gatekeeping if you think people shouldn't have access to these cards they can't afford. Well, the whole point of Commander is it's a bulk rare format, and you're finding stuff in bulk bins that you like. You're like, oh, wow, I could pair this Phyrexian of... Uh, Devour with my uh, Deadeye Navigator, that's pretty good, as opposed to like, well, I have to... Uh, have a cyclonic rift and I can't afford it. So I'm going to proxy cyclonic rift. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of homogeneity when you have these must have cards and, you know, people make the assumption that you can't build the deck or play the format without them. Um, I, I think you have admitted that there's no, you're not creative enough to, to come up with a different card that works in that slot. If you're using a proxy and, uh, you know, people say, well, what about, uh, a copy of a card that's in another deck. Cool, buy another copy. I'm not being an elitist by saying that. I'm saying y- you have to be creative in this format. And if we're if we're saying that cards are necessary to the extent that they have to be proxied, that means you're saying there's only one way to build the deck. And if you're, there's only one way to build the deck, you're CEDH. You're a 100-card Singleton Legacy. And that's not the format we want to be playing necessarily. Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why I myself am not a big fan of, of playing Commander because I, I really like the idea of Commander and the idea that you can you can see a cool legendary card and think like, oh, what cards will go with this? How can I build like a really cool on-theme deck? And then you come and sit down at a table and everybody else on the table is just like, okay, well, Signa, you know, Sol Ring Signa, go, I'm going to play this, I'm going to play this good card, I'm going to Demonic Tutor, I'm going to do this. Whereas I've got my, like, I don't know, Cranko and a bunch of goblins. I think that's that's a real thing with Commander and things I've even seen, like, on a small scale in terms of 
my LGS and playing Commander with other people. It's just like, I mean, people just want to play the best deck they can, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that there are people that are just Commander players who don't touch other formats, who their only, their only interaction with Magic is EDH. Their only interaction with competitivity is EDH. So they're just trying to... It's just an arms race, right? And people are just trying to build and build and like put the best cards in their deck, and then they listen to the command zone where like, oh, this card's really really good. It's, it's kind of the best in your deck. This is like Reap's a really good card in your green deck, so they'll just they'll just put it in. And I mean, I know I have my personal experience, and I know I can't really talk to Joe. <laughs> I can't really talk about you about your personal experience because you hate Commander with a Vengeance. Um, so like, I don't really get to know like the Commander players in your area. I'm kind of like stuck in, I guess, what I see in like Commander content and the stuff that gets put on YouTube, and my own personal LGS where like I, I get to see the Commander games get played there. But like, Jason, do you still feel that people like that is true of the format where you can just play whatever you want and it's a bulk rare format? Is that still true for where you play? Um, I think it's true everywhere because there are people that do want to play that way. And yeah. I think, ironically, the command zone is a big advocate of trying to get away from that. I don't know what kind of group I'm in mentality, where they kind of did the one to ten point scale, which is arbitrary. And like, I think there's too big of a variance between six and seven, and not enough variance between like two and five, or something like that. But that's just well, I mean, that's everyone. Nitpicking. Everyone thinks that X is seven, right? Yeah, that, and that's the that's the problem. Um, People who are considered pub stompers, but really they're just people that tried to play competitive EDH and then the competitive EDH crowd told them their deck wasn't competitive EDH because it wasn't the exact hundred cards that you run. Yeah. You're like, okay, there's a food chain deck with Niv-Mizzet and it was invented by this person and here are the hundred cards in the deck. Like, there's that yeah. mentality. So if you're like, uh, you can't play Food Chain Niv-Mizzet without Mana Vault. What are you doing? So those people like, I guess I'm not competitive. And their deck's like a 9.5 out of 10. And then they go, they're like, I guess I'm a 7. And then a guy with a pre-con thinks he's a 7. And then a pub stomper thinks there's a 7. So everyone thinks there's a 7. And then the guy pub stomps and everyone's like, wow, I guess I hate EDH. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I that's what kind of why I developed the uh, whole 75% thing where it was sort of like, all right, if you can try to keep the best player in line with the rest of the table and use the worst player's cards against them so they're hopefully equipped to deal with their own stuff, that's hopefully you can unite the table or at least win without overwhelming people per se. Like, you're not going to be a turn three combo deck, but you have the ability to go off if you know, to, to race somebody who's trying to pub stump. And it, it doesn't work for CEDH. You're not going to bring a 75% deck to a CEDH table and win, but like that's a different format and not enough people want to admit that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think, I think like ones and eights are far closer together than like an eight and a nine and a half, ten. Yeah, I, I absolutely I agree with you there. Because they're yeah. they have a different philosophy. I think in a nine and a ten, they're trying to play a different format. So yeah, a one will be closer to an eight than an eight will be to a nine. Certainly. Yeah, this is the thing. It's it's all about it's about <clears throat> I think philosophy, like you said, in, rather than just like a raw power level. Because like I, I've got, I think I just dismantled some, but I've got like six commander decks, and they're all like tuned, and I spent a lot of time on them, and I've put like good cards in them, but they're very much that they're, they're sort of 
built towards what I enjoy playing about about Commander, which I guess you would probably rank as like a three, four, five. Though an actual like raw power level, they're probably like eights and nines in terms of how much I've tuned them and how many like redundant cards I put in them and you know consistency and whatever. But in terms of how I play them and what I want to do with them, it's it's much more akin to when I started playing in like. 2013 where it's like i just want to attack people and get an incremental damage and like do stupid stuff than it is close to like comboing out on turn two with forcible backup yeah and uh, i think the problem is some places offer prizes and when you offer prizes Mm. don't come at me with your philosophy of commander my philosophy is there's prizes i'm going to try to win prizes yeah of course and i don't personally play edh for prizes because that's not what i'm trying to do you know. Well, exactly, and I think I think that's that's like like I was saying earlier with like people that where their entire interaction with Magic is Commander. Like, it's, so if I'm trying to play for prizes, if I'm trying to play competitively and sort of scratch that itch, and so I want to play like, good Magic and play like competitively, I'm I'm playing Legacy or Modern or Pioneer, and those are the formats I have for that. And when I'm playing EDH, it's like, well, I'm playing with my friends and I'm playing for fun and I'm like doing stupid stuff and and casting X spells for a billion. That's the that's the point of that format for me. But when you have people that are just like this is their entire interaction with with the game, then they're going to be much uh, like they're going to find it easier to drift towards the sort of CDH philosophy, as even if it's not like a, a nine or ten in terms of power level, they're going to much more it's much more likely for them to drift towards that than it is like continue playing their sort of like bad fun cards. I guess sure. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I, I think, think. It, you just have to play with a group that's trying to play the same kind of magic you are. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, what I found is when people don't know what anybody else is doing, the kind of people that I want to play with are the people that will get out a 75% deck, whether they built it that way or not. Yeah. They're going to get a deck out that's just going to be appropriate for most groups, and they're going to assume everyone else is going to do the same. There's a certain mindset of person that will not. They'll say, this is an unknown group, I'm going to come loaded for bear and bring the strongest deck I've got and I'll probably win or try to. And that type of person's mindset is not a reflection on EDH as a format. Unfortunately, it's just those kind of people exist and either they pub stomp the table on turn four and everyone's like, what the hell, I'm playing tribal merfolk and then they're like, oh, I have a deck for this table. Or they just pub stomp and then everybody secretly hates them and, you know, that's the, just sort of the thing that happens. Um, how I tend to handle that is if we're playing a game and then somebody, like, does some combo on, like, turn three or four and wins, we're just like, cool, you won. The rest of us are going to continue this game to see who gets second place. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's something that I do quite a lot. It's like, okay, you do your combo. But, I mean, I think, I think a lot of it is just, like, the fact that people just, their, their deck is a combo deck. They don't put cards in their deck to play a game of Magic. They're like, well, okay, well, everything is sort of nonsense up until I get to the combo. Um, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Everything, everything I'm doing is to delay everyone else or to just, like, play a game, like, you know, do other things until I get to the combo, but the combo is the point. That's why uh, I don't like that's... Laboratory Maniac, because every time I include Laboratory Maniac in the deck and I have that as a backup, everything just becomes an excuse to draw my deck. Yeah, well, I just... I. I always, I always used to think like, oh, okay, well, I'll put one infinite combo in the deck. I'll put one two card combo in the deck. So if it comes to it, I have an I win button. And I think like that was a good idea for a while, but then it was just, it was always in the back of my head like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to wait for this train to go past. There's something I didn't didn't mention before we recorded. There's a train line like fifty feet from my house. Uh, 
So every time I put like a you know a, a, a Kiki Deceiver Exarch in my deck just as a I win button, I was always I always found myself accidentally just trying to get to that because like all this other stuff was nonsense. I can just easily win with like something like a Micaeus and a Triskelion. Like so, it was pointless to play the rest of the game from that point in my mentality. I think, and I think that that ruins a lot of things. But people are just trying to dig to combos more than they're trying to play a game of EDH. Yeah. Um... I think that's right, and I think that's why I like to try to run cards that shut down that kind of thing, but aren't totally useless. Like, I think uh, like something like Kismet kind of shuts down combos like that. You know, like the, the Kiki Exarch. But, you know, it's... I'm going to have to remind myself what Kismet does. Oh, it's uh, their stuff comes in a play tapped. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Like a Blind Obedience thing, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, just those, okay. those sort of effects I, I like because it shuts down a few of those combos like that, but it also slows them down with like... Like, I would rather root maze somebody than winter orb them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, you stop them doing busted stuff, you don't stop them playing the game. Yeah. Because, like, Armageddoning yeah. people is, like, really annoying, but, like, you know, mana barbs cost the same amount of mana. Something like that. I think, philosophically, I like people having to make p- tough decisions. They should be in a painful quandary. They shouldn't be in a top deck discard go sort of thing. And is painful quandary a card you'd also put in that slot? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a card. I, that was like the the poster card for one of my seventy five percent principles. Was like it's better to punish people for doing things than prevent them from doing anything. Yeah, I think that's 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 really good. Like in in terms of philosophy coming to, for coming to EDH, you're like, well, if someone's going to do stupid stuff, then I'm going to have a way to make that less likely or make them like not want to do it. Rather, I'm going to stop them doing anything. Because so, that's that's the point. Yeah, you stop down the omniscience player. Like the player that's tapping out for a crawworm every turn doesn't care about painful quandary, <laughs> but the the person who plays like omniscience, it's gonna hurt them a lot more. So I like stuff that yeah. punishes people the better more the better their deck is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. But then then you've then you've got to devote slots in your like fun, bulk rare, casual EDH deck to deal with like idiots that might turn up to try and kill you for no reason, I guess. So that kind of you know, waters down the format a bit more. So instead of running Kiki-Jiki and Exarch, I'll run Kiki-Jiki and Zealous Conscripts, because Zealous Conscripts is a card that's fine on its own. You know, it's like a, a mini Molten Primordial. So, like, you just run it out there. As opposed to, like, oh, I drew my combo piece, it's going to sit in my hand forever. If I draw yeah. a Zealous Conscripts, I'm going to play Zealous Conscripts, I'm going to steal a creature, and then if the Conscripts is still around later when I draw the Kiki-Jiki, great. And that's everybody's fault for not interacting with my board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think that's better to do like playable cards that also happen to sort of, I guess, they have they have two functions rather than just being a sort of purely a combat card. Yeah, I like that. I also like uh, um, being like, all right, I'm going to try to win with, um, you know, mechanized production or uh, Simic Ascendancy. You know, I like people seeing it coming. Yeah, so they can try and beat you, but if they don't, then you just win. Yeah, and it, it also just prevents the game from going on forever. Because, like, if I'm playing with a pub stomper, cool, I'm going to lose if I'm trying mm-hmm. to Simic Ascendancy. But if I'm playing those those games where nobody attacks anybody... Yeah. You're like, all right, if no one's going to attack, this game is not going to take three hours. I won't let it. <laughs> See, this is the thing. <laughs> this is what I sort of hoped that stuff like like Game Nights would instill in casual Commander players. is Because I've played in a lot of pods, and I've known a lot of people, and I've been in a lot of places where this is true, where just no one wants to attack, they just want to play a game of EDH, and they'd much rather play a three-hour game, like one three-hour game of EDH, than they would ever attack someone and try and make threats and, and 
I don't know, put themselves in a vulnerable, vulnerable position or make someone lose. Like, I, I sort of assume, because the way Game Nights works is it's, it's kind of like, it's casually built decks, but it's competitive gameplay, right? Where everyone's yeah. trying to get the edge they can. And the same, the same, is, same is true for, like, Commander Versus, right, on SCG, where it's like, it's it's uh, decks built to, like, a casual philosophy, but it's it's gameplay that, you know, you try and get all the edges you can and you try and, like, play play correctly, I guess. And I, I sort of hope those kind of things would instill that in casual players, but they just seem to sit with their 800 power and their Acroma in play and not doing anything. Hmm? That's, a lot of the time. That's why I like those I win cards. It's like, hey, if no one's going to attack, I'm just going to insurrection. I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to win the game now, yeah. You just put like an Azor's Elocutors in your deck and just sit there and like, yeah, you, you can build up the game. <laughs> You're not attacking me. <laughs> Watch these counters go up. No one's playing Azor's Elocutors, dude. It's it's See, maybe it's that's tough. why I just like Commander. <laughs> it's tougher in EDH than it is on in one v one with uh, that card specifically. Yeah. yeah. See, Joe, is that like the kind of thing that's going to make you finally build an EDH deck and actually play with me? Yeah, quite probably. Just make it build it around as all Zelikus. I think I just need to find what I enjoy in the format because I don't know. Like I love that Locust God deck that I, that I built, but that was very much just like you know, it had like ten infinite combos in it, and yeah. You know, once you once you do it, like once, it's just not really fun after that, is it? I'd like to I'd like to run something by you then. What about something like Thantis the Warweaver that forces people to attack, and then you play like Varchild's War Riders and stuff like that. And you give them creatures, and then make them beat each other. It kind of puts them off their game because they have to play a different kind of magic. If they're like a combo deck, they're like, well, you're gonna have to attack, and if you don't have the creatures, like you're everyone's going to attack you. You're not gonna yeah. Be, so, I, you know, it, something like that could be a possibility. It forces everyone to play a different kind of magic that they're not prepared for, but it's super fair. Yeah, totally. I mean, right, Jason, since you're here, and I, I've i just thought of it, uh, if you were trying to convince someone who... Uh, you're completely unprepared for this question, question, but I can just completely cut it from the episode if uh, if you don't have a proper answer for it. But if you were trying to convince someone who like exclusively plays competitive magic and has no interest whatsoever in EDH and, and doesn't care about it and thinks it's like kind of pointless, I guess, how would you how would you convince that person? And when I say that person, I definitely mean Joe. <laughs> hey, I, I don't think it's pointless. I definitely don't think it's pointless. Yeah, but you know what I, I mean? Just, like, for you personally, I think... You, like, I've, I've definitely struggled to have fun with the format. You, I think it's probably You the, get a good group together. That's all it takes. Yeah. Because this is what I've said, you, yeah. you take that person out of the competitive setting, and when it's like, here's a bunch of randos that I don't know at the LGS, they're all playing Magic, everyone's trying to win, you know, it, it's hard to make the case that, like, we should be doing some casual BS in that setting. But you take the person out of that setting. We're at the pub, we're at my house with beers, there's pizza, we're just hanging out, there's music in the background, it's three, four people you know well. And here's a deck. It's one of my decks. It's already built. Just borrow this. Play a game with us. We're going to mess around and have a good time. And they're like, oh, this is a different kind of magic. And under these circumstances, I could be persuaded to get into this. But when you're like at the LGS, it's sort of like, uh, I'm just wasting my time. This is perfectly good time where I could be testing a format that I care about. If you're yeah, at the LGS, yeah. you're trying to grind Pioneer, right? Yeah, the, yeah, totally. This this was this was what I was saying. <laughs> but hopefully if it comes from someone that he respects a lot more in you, <laughs> he'll actually listen to the advice. 
I can repeat anything yeah. you've been saying for a while to him if if that helps. Oh yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I'll I'll DM you on Twitter with stuff I've been trying to tell him, and then you DM him with that exact same stuff, and he'll listen to you. Or I'll just say it on Brainstorm Brewery, and he'll be like, "Where have I heard that before?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing that like doesn't help there is like that one time that I did try to sit down with a play group that I liked at there at GP when I borrowed your deck. Mm-hmm. It was just horrendous. I played the, your Gaddock Teague deck and just had the most miserable time ever. Yeah, but I gave you a shit deck. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, that Gaddock Teague is supposed to make everyone else have the most miserable time ever. That's why I gave it to him. I thought, uh, you know, <laughs> he'll he'll enjoy this, like, Staxi build of, like... It, it, the thing is, it wasn't well built. It was just like, I own a lot of green-white cards. I own a lot of hate bears, Stax-style cards. I'll put them in one deck. And, yeah, it was not a lot of fun. Yeah, I think I think me and Emma had a lot, like a good game. <laughs> and then you had a very bad game and sat there looking genuinely upset for about thirty minutes. And I'm yeah. sorry about that. But I mean, like, I guess you know, Magic Fest Liverpool's coming up. We can do it again, right? Yeah, totally. We can try it out, and I'll give you a less miserable deck. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that advice is very good. Just like it's the people you play with rather than what you're actually playing. Because if you if you're like just sitting down, like you said, like an LGS and and just trying to play Commander, then I I think it's very different than. I'm sitting down to play ADH, but I'm trying to have a nice time with people I enjoy spending time with. That's why I like to lend my decks out. Yeah, definitely. If someone's going to sit down, I offer, I offer them a deck. And for some people, they're like, uh, I'm a deck idiot. But some people realize that's code for this is power level appropriate for the table. Yeah. yeah. So even people that have decks will borrow one of mine to play with the group. And then once they get the take the group's temperature... Hopefully the, the game did take two hours. I like a game to take 35, 45 minutes tops. You know, let's wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, I think that's a good amount of time. Because if I brought 10 decks to a tournament, I don't want to play one deck for three hours. You know, I would like to play more decks. So, like, yeah, let's totally. have some wins. You know, as much as people are like, oh, we played for three hours and I won and it felt so good. Man, what if four people got to win <laughs> in that amount of time? <laughs> in that amount of time, yeah. <laughs> what if I got to, you know... I have 20 decks built. What if I got to play three of them? So the first game is just sort of like, you know, borrow my deck, get the table's temperature. And if you have an appropriate deck, great. And if not, borrow a different one of mine. And, uh, you know, that that works too. So I think if you hand Joe a deck that is uh, kind of in line with what everyone else at the table is playing, that's great. And that's why everybody playing with one person's decks is a great idea. Because then you're all on the same page. You don't have to be like, arbitrarily, I think I'm a seven, but I'm really five. And someone's like, arbitrarily, I think I'm a seven, but I'm really a nine. You know, everybody's just whatever. So that's kind of why the pre-cons are cool. You know, as much as the decks aren't designed to be great, they are designed to be the same amount of not great as each other. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think when people start to upgrade them, that's when you get like there's a lot of disparate parallels between like upgraded pre-cons because people want to upgrade them in different ways. But that's, like that's good too. That's a, a totally separate good thing. Yeah. But I think like a lot of people are like, well, I'm going to upgrade this to put some combos in it so I can win the game. And some people are like, well, I'm going to upgrade this to put like synergistic cards that EDH recommends, recommends me. Right. And that kind of creates its own little problems. But yeah, I think like playing with pre-cons is really, really fun. And I think I got too much in sort of like, well, I need to make this deck as like as tuned as possible. And I should play all the best cards in the slot and, you know, play, play efficient mana rocks and, and play efficient card draw. It's just like, if you actually sit down with four people and play some pre-cons, it's actually really good fun. And that's the secret. There's nothing inherent to the pre-cons themselves. Yes, they were developed to be power level appropriate with each other. But mm-hmm. 
The real reason that works so well is because everybody is on the exact same page power level-wise. They're playing yeah. the same game of Magic, you know? They're, they're playing pre-con, which is like, we sometimes have ways to automatically win the game, but mostly we just try to have the most creatures and attack. Sort of a deal, right? I have a deck. My deck's going to do its thing until I win. And that's magic. That's why playing the pre-cons against each other is so much fun. It's just because every, there's no pub stomper and there's no, like, person playing their Ramirez de Pietro pirate tribal deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Versus the one good. person that's a man of all away from the stock Niv-Mizzet food chain list. Yeah. I don't really like those people. I think that's that's my main problem. It's, it's, I just I, I don't understand people that play CDH. I think that's my, my, my problem. Like, I don't get it as a format. Well, I feel bad for the people that kind of aren't able to break into that scene for whatever reason. And they don't have a place to play Magic because they want to play that kind of 100-card legacy. But Mana Crypts are expensive. And they're, they're kind of told, like, you know, if they don't have 100% the same mindset, they're kind of... They're like, oh, this group isn't for me. I pl- I played some of that and I didn't really like it. So they take their deck that's maybe like an 8.59, you know. They're like, I guess I'm a casual EDH player. And they pub stomp and then they feel bad. If you've ever been pub stomped by somebody that didn't realize they were going to pub stomp everybody, most of the time the look on their face is like, oh, I made a huge mistake. <laughs> uh, I have found personally that their face looks really smug. And they're like, yeah, I cast that Armageddon on turn three and you felt really bad about it. Well, that's the people that show up to do that but like if you've ever been pub stomped yeah. by somebody that thought they were just going to play some casual EDH with their what they thought was a casual EDH deck yeah yeah I mean to be fair I fall into that category quite a lot where I just like sort of miss by quite a bit on what, what I'm trying to do and accidentally spend 20 minutes doing a turn and I'm just like I'm really sorry we shouldn't have done that <laughs> let's just move on to a different game but uh, yeah it's the mentality and I think like a lot of the time it's, it's the people you play with more than it is actually trying to like I, like I've I've never really enjoyed like going to a GP or, or a Magic Fest and just playing with random people because I think even if you if you're playing with people that you get along with and you that you know and you know their decks it's much less of an issue if you're playing with disparate power levels than if you're just going to a random place and some of you are playing with a two and some of you are playing with an eight or whatever because at least if stupid stuff happens and one person's much better than the other then at least you get on with that person you can still have fun yeah. I will admit I can't really comment on stuff like that anymore because as much as I'm like, well, my GP experience has been very different because of course it has. People seek me out specifically to play against me. And when they do, they have a 75% deck on them. They're like, I want to play you because I want you to see my deck. I build it the way you said to build. <laughs> so, of course, my Grand Prix experience is going to be, you know, exactly what I'm looking for because the people, yeah. the kind of person that seeks me out is the kind of person that's going to just philosophically want to play against me and therefore I'm like oh every time I've played against people that random people at a GP it's been power level appropriate because like of course so yeah I, I guess I, guess I, I can't really comment and say oh just you know you just had a bad experience because I mean that's magic's fraught the the good thing about competitive is everyone's on the same page you know that everyone's trying to win a game of magic yeah, no, no one's going to a like a, a modern 1k just been like, well, I got a goofy travel deck. Let's have some fun today. <laughs> <laughs> there I mean, are prizes. You are trying to beat the other person. 
you know? So, so everyone's on the same page. So even if you don't like that, at least it's, you have an expectation of a certain experience. And with commander, your experience can wildly vary based on the experience. Everybody else thought they were going to have. And as much as the number thing is a little bit fraught, I kind of think just trying to be like, look, philosophically, we're trying to do this. You know? Yeah, I think I think going on philosophy rather than power level is like probably a much better way to do it. I don't know if there's a good way to do it because people do not honestly assess themselves at all. They No, I definitely I definitely <laughs> yeah, don't I agree. Yeah. Not maliciously. I don't think I don't think I know what my favorite beer is. Does that make sense? Like, if there were, like, some magic wand you could wave and, like, you put a glass of liquid in front of me, I'd be like, that's the best thing I've ever tasted. It's my favorite. I I wouldn't know how to even, like, do a taste test or anything. There's so much bias and so much marketing and people don't know what they like. And if you ask people what they want, they can't tell you. Malcolm Gladwell, the author, did a TED Talk where he talked about people's preferences. And he said... You ask people what kind of coffee they like. They're like, I'm like a bold, robust blend. And then when they make coffee, they make weak, milky coffee. I, yeah. It's probably not the same yeah. thing with tea. Everybody just makes tea mostly the same, I guess. But people are like, I like a robust blend. And no, they don't. They want a frappuccino, right? Wait, wait. Are you bringing up tea because we're English? Yeah. I exclusively drink coffee. <laughs> and I fine. think Joe does as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll have a cup of tea from time to time, but no, I'm definitely, just give me that black coffee. Exactly, but I, I think, you know, a, a lot of people say they like coffee much stronger than they actually take it. So, yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. People don't really know. Well, if you ask them what they want, they'll tell you a certain thing, but like, you have to expose them to a variety of things and see what they actually resonate with. I think it's the same way for for that kind of thing. They're like, philosophically, I'm real casual. But then they're like, oh, I definitely have Sanguine Bond and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Those sort of combos in my deck. So, you know, am I really honestly assessing the kind of magic I want to play? They're like, I just want a casual game where everyone has fun. And also I'm playing Thassa's Oracle. (laughs) So it's it's really tough when people are self-assessing their decks. and, And you, you know... People are going to be dishonest, but 100% of people are dishonest with themselves every day. And that's how you get through the world is by lying to yourself a little, I guess, or just not understanding your own preferences. It's uh, it's tough. It's tough to know what you actually want. And it's tough to know how you're actually going to accomplish it. So the the number scale is probably much better the more objectivity there is to it. But since it's a hundred percent subjective, it, it kind of doesn't work that great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like the philosophy behind it where like everyone's trying to play on the same power level, but it just, people don't I like, like I said, like everyone thinks their decks are seven. No one, no one knows what they want and what kind of magic they actually want to play or, or like what, like they think, Oh, I had a good experience that one time when I played commander, but they don't know what led to that. They think that because they picked that deck, they're going to have a good experience with it again. And maybe it was just because of the other people, the other decks they were playing, or, or what happened, or the cards that they drew that led to that pleasant experience rather than they play this specific deck. It goes against all your instincts as a Magic player to play Commander for no prizes. I think. It's a completely and, different Magic experience. Yeah. 
And not everybody's ready for that. I mean, I think... But it depends, though, because there are the, the people that just play Commander and just play casually and just want to have that sort of like casual experience, I guess. Yeah. So, but, but then I don't know what they want. I don't know what they're... Because I'm, I'm playing Commander specifically for engaging with my favorite hobby, engaging with magic on a non-competitive level where I can just enjoy the, the cards and, and the flavor and the things that they do and like stupid designs that you don't get to play in comp formats. That's why I'm playing Commander most of the time. So and I don't really understand people that are just interacting with Commander. Well, if you filled out a 200-question survey... You could get groups of people that were going to just have the best time. You're going to find the people, like, not what levels your deck was, like, what are you about? Why do you play Commander? You know, just like a real psychological profile. You could probably group the people pretty effectively. But asking people to self-assess their power level 1 through 10, I don't know. I I, I think it's going to work very roughly. It's going to be like seventy five percent effective, right? It's gonna, <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. You're gonna mostly get the people playing casual at the casual tables, and you're gonna mostly get the people playing competitive at the competitive tables. And then where you get a real mess is the people that are like, I'm not a tryhard, but I'm not a noob, so I'm in the middle. But it's a bell curve, so eighty five percent of people are in the middle. So yeah, yeah, you're gonna you get close enough though. <laughs> you know, like everybody that thinks they're a four through an eight is eighty five percent of the community. Yeah, and there need to be more subdivisions in that area because I, I really do think it's like a bell curve where it's just like just a huge bulge and it's eighty five percent of people in there, and uh, it's it's really tough to match those people. With the appropriate group. And that's why I like to play with friends, you know, or play with people that know who I am and how I build. And that's kind of my privilege as somebody whose philosophy is known. You know, whether you agree with it or not, you are prepared for it when you engage with me at an event. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, are you going to be at European GP anytime soon? I'd sure like to. I'd sure mm-hmm. like to. We were talking before the cast. I mentioned I lived in Manchester for a couple years. Yeah. I played regionals in 98, I think, or it was wow. probably 98. <laughs> I played at regionals. It was at, like at Manchester University, like in a back cafeteria. It was this tiny room that sat like 50 people. Oh, wow. And it was back when it was like the, um, <laughs> it was the, uh, like the combo, like the five color winter orb combo deck with um, oh no, yeah, recurring nightmare and uh, survival of the fittest. That deck that sounds fun, <laughs> and it was like mono black. It was right after they banned everything mean out of saga, <laughs> <laughs> so everything the entire set. It's like I have a memory jar, and then you trade it for a booster pack and get a scrap heap, and you're like, ah, I made a mistake. <laughs> mm. It was back then, so like, uh, yeah, GP Manchester would be cool, maybe. Liverpool, not gonna, not gonna be able to make Liverpool. It's it's something that'd be good. I've I've been to I've been to Europe because like England is a real convenient jumping off point to visit Europe. It's much more convenient to to go to France from England than it is to go to France from the U.S. I mean, for now, yeah, <laughs> yeah. For we now, don't know how things play now. out for the next few years, right? <laughs> Yeah, they could get a lot harder, a lot, a lot, like very quickly. <laughs> so I, this was you know the the late nineties, so it was it was very easy back then, and I, I got to see a lot of Europe. So I'd I'd absolutely like to uh, to go to a European GP. It's just really a matter of 
getting someone to watch my kids, I guess. <laughs> I'm not taking them with me. They don't deserve it. <laughs> they don't deserve a trip to Europe. No. They it, Until they can write me a five-page essay about why they want to go to Europe, I'm not taking them. It's a waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we have that on record. That's good. <laughs> Once they're old enough to, like, let me know that they would really appreciate it, then we'll take them. Well, so they've got to, like, give you sort of historic landmarks and art galleries that they'd want to go to and learn from and enjoy the experience of before they can go. Yeah, but I'd be a snob about it, too. Like, I'd be grading their paper with a red pen. Oh, the Louvre? <laughs> wow. Be be basic more, Liliana. Jeez, the Louvre. Get out of here with that. It's really played out, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you want to go wait in line to see the Mona Lisa, don't you? You make me sick. Okay, good. That's where I was hoping this conversation was going to go. Yeah, man. I definitely Mm. called... I will call my daughter basic with no provocation. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, if you can find something cultural to do in Liverpool specifically... That isn't Beatles related? I mean, mean, yeah, I would say the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty vague. That's not cultural. That's just the Beatles were from Liverpool. That doesn't count as it's not it's not on the same level as going to see the Mona Lisa at the Louvre, no. I don't know. It really depends uh, how I basic mean, you are. My yeah. dad was super <laughs> super psyched to see all the Beatles minutia in Liverpool. It was like, oh, there's a picture of Paul because he ate here once. We did it. I mean, isn't that the most basic you can go? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. There's, th- I feel like I don't remember. I don't have perfect recall of twenty years ago, but I I feel like there was some. Some actual Beatles stuff, like museum-y type stuff in Liverpool. Like, they're very aware that people are going there a certain amount of people a year on some sort of beatle pilgrimage, right? So I, they're, they're prepared to have stuff for those people. Well, I think last time I was there, the whole city was plastered in posters of Paul McCartney. I don't think he was like. I'm not sure what he was doing, but you know, they they know their target audience, right? If people are going to Liverpool for a cultural pilgrimage, I guess they go. They they know what people are coming for, or they're there for their team to play Liverpool, and they're there to get really drunk, urinate outside, and headbutt a cop. Yeah, <laughs> man, you know so much about British culture. I <laughs> I do, right? I know about hooliganism. But I also feel old. I'm like, I remember when Michael Owen was a rookie, and everyone's like, he retired, and I was like, oh no, I'm old. Yeah, I was like. Oh, Six Michael or seven Owen. when that happened. Michael Owen ruined Newcastle Newcastle United. That's what he did. Joe, this is the first time I've ever seen you. I've ever heard you mention football. Oh, I'm, yeah. I I I don't follow football at all in the slightest. But, but you can't but escape being, it. being a Geordie. Being a Geordie, like you can't escape Newcastle United and the damage that both Michael Owen and Mike Ashley have done to the club. I can't believe you've spent the last half an hour being talked at by two people about Commander and the thing that's brought you back into the conversation is football. <laughs> it's so confusing. He's like a sport I'm barely enthusiastic about. Well, <laughs> now I'm Let listening. Yeah. I, like, I don't know. Things things have moved very quickly. I remember when Manchester United won the, 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 the Premier League and then everyone's like, oh, they're crap now. Manchester City's good. And I was like, that. I don't understand this world anymore. So... I can't talk football very much. I just all I know is that Man U used to be very good. Liverpool was okay, and Man City was terrible. And now everything's topsy turvy. I don't get it. I mean, if you were hoping to come onto an English podcast and connect with us by talking about football, you were speaking to the wrong people. <laughs> yeah, I guess the the other thing I wanted to touch on with you being a an MTG financier, MTG finance is that the term? 
Uh, we say financier. Financier. There we go. Uh, is that that term MTG finance does get a bit of a, a bad rap, and I guess kind of wanted to explore that with you a bit. Um, what do what do you mean when you when you say MTG finance? Because I think it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Well, it means a lot of different things to us, really. Um, the reason I say I'm in MTG finance is because I tell people advice. Um, I think people are going to speculate. Everybody does it. Players blame speculators, but players speculate more than speculators. Totally. As yeah. a group. And they're like, we bought only four copies. I didn't buy 20 copies because I'm a dirty speculator holding cards. I just bought four copies for myself, which is every snowflake not thinking they're responsible for the avalanche. If I buy 100 copies of a card and 100 people buy four copies, yeah, I bought 25 times as many as those people, but they've bought four times as much as me. So, like, there's a finite amount on TCG player. If I'm – and I I like to buy stuff months before it goes up, so I have all my copies and I have them organized and I know where they are and I'm ready to list them when the card spikes. So, that's why I like to figure out stuff that's going to go up before it goes up. I don't buy reactively. Because when you buy reactively, you're like, oh, Reap is gone. I'll pay 12 bucks, and then you're selling it for four. Um, what I like to do is buy Reap for a quarter, and then when it goes to two, I sell it, and then it goes to 12, and I'm like, I sold it for two. <laughs> I made 800% profit, and I'm upset. Um, that's kind of how I do MTG Finance. Most of what I do is buying collections, processing collections, selling singles. I have a, a case at an LGS that didn't want to do their own magic single stuff. I sell out of that case. I sell online. I sell to buy lists. I buy collections from people. I sell bulk on Craigslist. I um, buy collections on Craigslist. I just sort of process cards. I get wads of cards, and then I figure out exactly what all those cards are, and then sell them the best way to sell those cards. And that's 90% of the money I make is doing that grindy stuff. But nobody wants to hear about that. So 90, 90% of the, the content being generated is about speculation, and 90% of the what I do is not speculation. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they hear MTG Finance, just think of Alpha Investment specifically. Yeah. And that's the picture they have in their head of just some guy just sitting on thousands and thousands of copies of cards and boxes and reservers cards. And most of us don't like him. And we don't <laughs> I mean, like most being, of us don't like him. And we don't like being painted with that brush either. Because he's, you know, he's raising the price of insulin on a magic level, right? Like, he's Martin Shkreli. And I'm sure people that... I'm sure my T-Row Price guy that, like, is managing my 401k for me doesn't like being compared to Martin Shkreli any more than I like being compared to Alpha Investments. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what the, the idea that people have. They're just like, oh, this card's good, so, you know, some people bought 10,000 copies of the card and... and 10,000 people bought four copies. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's what I do. That's why I listen to Brainstorm Brewery specifically, because I'm like, well, I'm going to listen to it uh, to a... I'm listen to a podcast that's going to tell me the cards that are going to go up. And I'm like, well, I could kind of use a copy of that card for an EDH deck, so I'm going to buy that copy. And then instead of paying $20, I pay $5, because, I mean, that's how I interact with MTG Finance a lot of the time. I'm not using it to make money specifically. I just want to be ahead of the curve so I don't have to pay more money than the card is worth. Yeah, definitely. For me, it's about understanding how it works and how the market works to make sure you don't shortchange yourself. And to know what your outs are too. Yeah, totally. Like if you plan to sell it later, what's the best way to do it? What's the best time to do it? That's a lot of what we talk about 
on our podcast what to do at rotation when it comes up. You know, what to do with the pre-release. Don't buy anything. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> two cards go up, 97 cards go down. Everyone's like, why did you not know Embercleave was going to be 30 bucks? Well, nobody did. You know, so I think a lot of what we do is just tell people the right time to buy and the right time to sell. Because left to their own devices, people will do magic finance backwards. And that's why the advice is good. <clears throat> so, left to their own devices, people would, if money wasn't an object, buy everything right away. Pre-release, weekend, they would just like, I would like four of everything, please. And then the set rotates and they're like, oh, I don't want this stuff anymore, I'm going to sell it. It's the worst time to buy, it's the worst time to sell. The best time to buy is at rotation, when everyone's trying to sell. The yeah. second best time to buy is at peak supply, which is basically the week people stop drafting a set. That's when the, you know, the the most copies of the cards are out there, when people are sort of like, all right, we're thinking about the new set. Ikoria spoilers are out. That's when you want to be buying the stuff that you're going to play in Theros Beyond Death. When you want to, to sell it is a few months before rotation. Because there's people that are like, it's like, yeah, you want to keep the stuff you're playing with, but what about your trade binder or the, the box where you put stuff if you don't have, like, people don't have trade binders like they used to. So what about the stuff on your desk with all the Theros Beyond Death stuff you're not playing? It's about to rotate out of standard. When do you sell it? Well, you don't sell it when everyone else is selling. You sell a few months before. And if you got a deck, keep the deck together. But everything else, get rid of it. And uh, I think that's the the opposite of what people do naturally. And I think having to be reminded, oh, yeah, I don't want to buy when everyone else is buying. I want to sell when people are buying. I don't want to buy when people are selling. So people know what everyone else is doing because that's their first instinct. So if you just put the, you flip that a little bit for people, oh, maybe I can wait a little bit to buy this stuff for EDH. And maybe I can sell it before, you know, it becomes totally worthless. And, uh... I think if you just follow that advice, you buy your EDH stuff when it's about to rotate out of standard, and the standard players just want more than nothing for it, because they just sat on it, you know, the whole time it was in standard. And I think if you just don't buy at the pre-release, you wait till there's peak supply. And I think if you sell, like, before rotation, I, I think you'll be in good shape. And it's just a little bit of training your behavior differently, but people have 50%, 75% more money than they used to when they follow that advice. So it's, it's really... MTG finance on a real basic level is just training yourself to not do the bad habits that come to you naturally. Yeah, I think MTG finance is just is all those things you just described. It's like a way of thinking about the game and a way of maximizing the money you have to put in the game rather than it is people like our investments trying to make a crap load of money off a load of things. It's just being smart with your money and smart with the cards you buy, right? I think so. That's what it is to me anyway, and that's that's the advice we give on our podcast. I mean, we do the the pick of the week segment because people do want spe If we did a whole finance podcast and didn't give people a spec, you know, you, you can't. Yeah. yeah. It's it's Queen has got to play We Are the Champions <laughs> or whatever. Like, people will riot. I mean, I've still got like 30 copies of Gift of Almost Havoc that I'm waiting for to go up. So there you go. That's a good pick <laughs> of the week, I think. Based that on. Three, that was three weeks ago, man. Where's my Where's my money? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm still waiting for uh, for Lightning Angel to go up. So when that happens, uh, that's yeah, okay, that's never happening. They printed Manus Rider, but 
But I that's mean, that's why I don't mostly spe- I don't spec to eat because it's fraught, right? There's danger. There's risk. Otherwise everyone course, would yeah. do it. So that's what everyone wants to hear about, but that's not what mostly what we do. So on our podcast, we try to to cater to all kinds of people and hardcore finance people don't need our advice. So the better you are at finance, the less you need our advice. So really what I think our podcast is for is for people who don't want to think about it. And we tell you, Hey, rotation's coming up. Do this. Hey, don't buy it. The pre-release. Hey, someone who's better at magic than we are thinks this card could go to $5 and it's a buck right now. That sort of thing, you know? And if you don't buy 200 copies of the card at a buck, you know, that's going to hit five. You're just buying four copies. You, you got good advice from us because we just saved you, you know, 16 bucks. Just on the basis of you buying a little bit earlier. So yeah. that person made $16 without having to sell anything because they didn't spend 20. So, yeah, they made $16, but they didn't take cards from anybody else they didn't have to sell anything it's just they did a real easy way to do mtg finance and virtually made money uh, by you know by not spending it later not spending more later so when you think about it like that a lot of us do lose money just buying poorly and we're just trying to tell people not to do that yeah i mean i think that's what i think of when i think of mtg finance it's just like, i'm gonna save money on buying these cards and cards that I want or need more than I'm going to make money on selling cards and like buying loads of things because the the amount of people that are actually just like buying like, like, like when there are like there are buyouts on cards the amount of people that are doing that is a lot lower than I think people realize. So say I, I think a lot of the things when you do see sort of big spikes on cards I I do often wonder how much of that is a, you know one or a small number of individuals purchasing a card and how much of that is everybody else seeing the card going nuts and jumping on because because of FOMO. They don't want to miss out. Yep. There's a lot to it, too. And there's a lot of people saying, hey, I wanted to buy four copies, but they're all gone. You know? And it's better to say, ooh, there's a shadowy cabal of MTG financiers <laughs> treating this like the stock market with no regulations yeah. and, you know, they're ruining the game. And not just like, hey, I waited too long. And everybody else who had the exact same idea as me was quicker. You know, nobody wants to admit that. It's it, we're, we're much easier as a scapegoat. And being involved in finance has hurt me professionally. Because Watsi has to be very careful. You know, even though uh, Corbin works for coverage, they are, they're very careful when they send a, a Wizards person to talk on our podcast or how they interact with us yeah. on Twitter and... And stuff like that. Like um, somebody said, hey, Sheldon, maybe Jason should be on the commander advisory group. He's an EDH guy. And he's like, we can't have a finance person on the commander advisory group. <laughs> now, he's not saying I'm not on there because because of that. Like, I don't think I'm that famous. But at the same time, it's like I if he wanted to put me on there, he couldn't. Yeah. Sort of a deal. So, like, I, I think it's hurt me professionally a little bit. But I think I've saved enough people enough money over the years that like I'm happy where I'm at. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, I think you provide a service to the magic community if nothing else. I think you're certainly one of, I mean, you're the only finance podcast I actually pay any attention to. I think, I think we might be the only one still going. I I know um, MTG price 
has a, a, a podcast. But I, I'm not I'm not sure of because uh, Cartel Aristocrats just stopped. I'm not sure if there are too many yeah. other finance podcasts out there. Are they still going though? I don't know. Uh, um, Cartel Aristocrats did, yeah. Oh really? Oh okay. I didn't know. Well, that's how much attention I paid to them. I guess <laughs> I had no idea that they'd stopped. They'd stopped putting out content. Yeah, I think I, d- I didn't realize that you're not allowed to sort of be involved. To, I mean, I guess these are things that you wanted to do, like being on the commander advisory group and stuff. I guess it's stuff you want to do, but you just can't because you're so heavily invested in the finance side. Yeah, which is fine. Um, I guess I think p- people don't want a guy who's going to know exactly how to make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, knowing which card is about to get banned or unbanned. Because yeah, that, that's sure. just more more stuff for people to bitch about. I mean, does does character not have something to do with that? Like that you wouldn't do that intentionally to make uh, money. But nobody who would complain knows that. Right. Sure. 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 So I mean, like we don't know that, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know how I would react if I had uh, the chance to to have perfect knowledge of something significant that's definitely going to happen in the future. I mean, to be fair, like based on the amount of money that I made personally on Protein Hulk getting unbanned, just like accidentally, because I think at that time EDH players were very very slow on uh, finance stuff. So I managed to go to Camp Magic Card Market and just sort of buy all the cheap copies of Protein Hulk, and they went up quite a lot. I guess, I guess that'd be tempting, right? I mean, you to- can make a bunch of money just buying cheap stuff on Magic Card Market and having somebody sell it for you here. Yeah, <clears throat> that was the that was the real uh, the real reason we got you on the podcast. We want we want oh, to set up an, like an arbitrage thing. Yeah, that sounds great. I would love to have access to cheap EDH stuff. Oh yeah, like none of the none of this is actually going to go out on a website or anything. Uh, I don't this is just like a podcast. one hour you guys got me oh, yeah, to drink yeah. a beer because you knew I would drink a beer when I podcast and then <laughs> yeah we're not nice recording and... any of this <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we just we I mean, don't actually have a podcast I just we released just 95 to... tweets that had dead links that said we were doing episodes <laughs> yeah yeah exactly this has been two years in the making we just want someone to make a little bit of money on UVH cars on, from Magic Car Bucket I mean, we probably should maybe discuss that <laughs> After we finish recording this podcast. Well, if not with me, somebody in the Brainstorm Brewery Discord. Oh, there's always so much going on in the Brainstorm Brewery Discord, though. Well, how do you have access to the Brainstorm Brewery Discord? How do I have access to Brainstorm Brewery Well, I, I give you $20 a month for some reason. By going to patreon.com slash brainstorm brewery and giving us $20 a month, which gives you access to the Discord. One of these handsome drinking glasses I'm drinking out of right now. Exclusive play mats, tokens, and more. Wow, what a well, value. First of all, I'm also drinking out one of your handsome drinking glasses because I thought it'd be appropriate, or at least disrespectful not to. Uh, <laughs> and second of all, more people are going to hear about your Patreon than they are about us <laughs> in this podcast. Do you have a Patreon? If you're we telling me if we- I go to patreon.com slash hour of devastation, I could give you guys uh, $20 a month? Yeah, you could. You absolutely could. And that's the second reason we got you on the podcast. Because I seamlessly pitched the Patreon. Oh, boy. Yeah, we're really bad at it. <laughs> well, if you do it ten times an episode, you uh, you develop the skills and you figure out how to <laughs> to put it in any conversation. I mean, as I, I will say, as someone that listened to the episode where you pitched it ten times in one episode, it didn't sound jarring. Like you were kind of like, oh, that that's funny that you've done that again, but it wasn't like annoying because <laughs> I guess you're quite good at it at this point, having done it so so often. Yeah, I, I suppose I did get a little bit of practice, and um, you know if you. If you have the ability to bounce ideas off of people, 
uh, like in the Discord community at patreon.com slash our devastation. <laughs> we do not have a Discord. <laughs> well, that's something you should think about. Yeah, we really should. Yeah, we really do need to set that up. Yeah. Oh, that's that's why been, like, I had myself on this podcast is to tell you guys you needed a Discord. Discord, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so EDH expertise, MTG finance expertise, and having a magic, magic podcast expertise. That's why you're here, right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why I'm here, frankly, but... Because uh, you put a post on Twitter saying, I'll be on anyone's podcast, and then we yeah. said, will you be on our podcast? And then you, you, made, accepted. you made me regret it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit that bit out. You said what? anyone's podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course I'm going to message you. Well, I'm going to not at least put... I didn't expect you to reply, but here you are. Shoot your shot. You can be 20 yeah. bucks a month. Of course I'm going to reply. Oh, thank you. Is that the only reason? <laughs> well, it's a reason... <laughs> So if, if Joe had, if Joe had sent you a message who doesn't give you twenty dollars a month on patreon.com slash brainstormbury, then you wouldn't have replied. I would have checked Twitter to see if Joe was following me and he is. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. I, I don't think everybody needs to be as involved in MTG finance as maybe you two are. Mm. Um I think if there's one thing you learn from someone like me that could make or save you a lot of money. By saying make, I mean if you don't spend money later, you made money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So save money, make money. Um, the one piece of advice uh, I, I would give everybody is just if you think something is good and worth buying and is going to go in a deck that you think more people than just you are building, double your order. So yeah. you're like, wow, anointed procession is like six euro right now. I think that could be good later. Just buy two of them. Because when it goes up to 11 euro, all of a sudden, you know, you're you're holding another one. Your first one was free, basically. Yeah. If you sell the other yeah. one for the, the new price and you doubled up, you either have two copies and you don't have to pay 11 euro later, so you you know saved five there, or you sell it for 11 and the one you're playing with is absolutely free. So uh, those are your, your options at that point. Maybe double or quadruple your order. You know, it, If you think the card is good and it's going to go in a deck that you think people are going to build, the price will probably go up. And even if it doesn't, how expensive was it in the first place? You know? So Yeah. I think if you're willing to spend six euros on a card, then you're willing to spend, you know, double that on a card and just potentially make a little bit of money on it. I think that's reasonable advice. I think I think that's the way that I interact with Magic Finance a lot of the time. It's just like, well this card's good, so I should probably own two of them and then later down the line I can trade that into something that I want or I can sell that for, for more money than I paid for it. That's yep. that's my experience of energy finance in a nutshell. I'm, I'm never looking to. I don't have enough time, or I don't care enough to make to make proper money on energy finance. Apart from that, gift of immortality spec that I'm hoping goes up soon. Um, that, that, that's the way I'm I think to. some people their first spec they're like, I paid a buck, it's five now. I'm going to make some money, but like, there's so much infrastructure built in. There are fees. There's like, well, am I selling this to a buy list where the buy list price is two dollars because the you know the buy list price merely doubled, and after I pay shipping. Uh, I'm not doing too great on that. Buying at one, selling for a buck seventy, essentially. You know, um, you got to know your outs too. So if you don't think you want to like open up a TCG player store and have the infrastructure I've got to like be able to to sell the stuff for absolute retail, you got to really think about what your outs are. And if all you're doing is buying cards to play with, just buy cards to play with smarter. Buy at the right time, sell at the right time, or trade out at the right time, and. Uh, Get two copies of anything you think is probably going to go up. I think if you do all those things, you're 
going to realize that it didn't take that much work. You didn't have to pay attention that much, but you're just going to be able to stretch the money you pay for magic so much farther. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that attitude has definitely paid off for me in the way that I interact with buying magic cards and selling magic cards, definitely. Yeah, I think that's real smart advice. Like, if, if you think the card is good and you want to put it in your deck, chances are someone else is going to think that as well. So, obviously, it's just going to go up, isn't it? Yeah, especially if it's a card they mention on the command zone or playing game mode. <laughs> it's the perfect way to make money, right? That certainly doesn't suck. <laughs> that's a great soundbite for the episode. That certainly doesn't suck. <laughs> so Jason thanks for coming on a podcast what do you think of the Hour of Devastation as a podcast it certainly doesn't suck alright <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we're going to use that for years to come so that is pretty much all we have time for this week uh, if you liked what you heard and you want to hit us up on social media get in touch to comment on anything you've you've learned today you can get us on Twitter. We are at hfdcast or facebook.com slash hfdcast. You can also hit us up on Patreon at patreon.com slash hour of devastation, where tiers start from as little as $1 per month. That's roughly 20 to 25 cents per episode. You can find the podcast on Spotify and SoundCloud and iTunes. I've made the decision that's what I'm calling it. If you wanted to find us on one of those and leave us a review or a rating or just share it with some of your friends, that would really help the podcast. And if you want to get me at my own personal social media on Twitter, I am at Peach Garden Oaf. At Facebook, I'm Joe Loudon. You can find me in pretty much any of the UK magic groups. I'll be there. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Sneal69. Nice. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> it means a lot more coming from you, Jason. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just tweeting pictures of Magic Cosa and about socialism. Yeah, and thanks once again to the, the fantastic Jason Alt for coming with us to talk to us all about ADH and MCG Finance. Uh, would you like to tell the lovely listeners where they can find you on the internet, Jason? Uh, you can find me writing articles for CoolStuffInc.com and MTGPrice.com. I'm the content manager for EDHREC.com. I am on the Brainstorm Brewery and Film Hooligans podcast, and my personal Twitter is at Jason E. Alt, where I have a pinned post with all of those links in it. Nice. Well, that was rehearsed. That's uh, it's just, it's rote, right? It's just repetition. <laughs> yeah, sure. Awesome. So once again, we are approaching the second hour. The Godfarer has returned. So we'll see you again next week on Hour Devastation. Mm-hmm.